Chapter 7 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 7 The Outbreak. Jack puts his foot down and Jim has a close shave. Frenchman and more Chinese. Los Angeles lynches Felix, and his girl goes to join him. Jim and Jack part company. Blood on the Merced. The Mexican had formally laid down a new law of his, thus, I'll never let one of these cursed Yankees put foot in the headquarters here, and be let into the secrets of the band, on which declaration the rupture between the two aforesaid had resulted. Mountain Jim, who represented in himself alone the element mentioned, got up on his feet, swallowed his last bite leisurely, and replied bluntly, That cock won't fight. I'm an American by birth, but I'm Mexican in heart, and you may all be sure that I have all the more interest in upholding the party by the fact that I don't come to you only to be a butcher. If you mean me by that, retorted Garcia, you lie, and you're a coward if you don't freeze to it. At the same time, the robber drew his revolver. To see him rolling his tiger's eyes and frowning with his black brows, like the lightning and thunder on Mont Diablo, and to see his whole face of a devil borne out in its fiendish promises by his gigantic limbs— it would take a stout heart to look at him twice before going in opposition to him. But the other was not a man, as he might have said himself, to be bluffed off with big looks. At the word coward, he had grasped his revolver, and he was so quick that he might have had the first shot. But Joaquin had risen, and in his sternest, most imperious voice, ordered both of the antagonists to down with their arms and have no more brawling. "'That's agreeable,' answered the mountain man. "'I'm willing to obey my leader's word, though I don't care a dime.' "'Stop a bit,' muttered Jack." I ain't no jackass rabbit to have long enough ears to hear all orders. Crack went his pistol. But it was one of the new volunteers who had had the ill luck to be next to Jim, and who had leaped up to fall instantly, mortally wounded. One loud shout broke forth. As if moved by the same spring, every man was standing, and all the weapons were leveled at or held against the slayer, ready to prevent his ever again disobeying the chief. No, said the latter, stretching out his hand. Jim. Luis. All. Down with the arms. The order was obeyed at the word, but all eyes were bent nevertheless on Garcia. He, standing, revolver in hand and finger inside the trigger ring, eyed his leader with an air of indifference. The silver mounting of the latter's pistol glittered in the rays of the fire as it bore upon the rebel, while, with an angry look and a voice of rage, Joaquin said, "'Jack, you've disobeyed your leader, and have not only rebelled openly, but have added the murder of one of your comrades to your misdeed. And the slain man is not only the one with whom you were not concerned,' but was one who was an utter stranger to you. You have earned death, and I'll show you that I am a better marksman than you. Dead shot or not, Joaquin, replied Garcia, dropping his weapon and opening with both hands his shirt to lay bare his breast. I ain't scared. Blaze away, I'm ready. As he was defying the shot, a little hand glided round upon the superior's pistol arm, and the sweet voice of Clarina murmured gently in his ear. Pardon him, Joaquin, I entreat you. For a space, the would-be executioner judge was indecisive but at length letting the muzzle of his revolver droop, he said, "'Garcia, I can't bring myself to kill you. You're too fearless to leave the world, so, and though your bravery is next door to barbarity, because you were born so and cannot master your desires—' "'Yes, yes, he can't help it,' cried at the same time a number of the desperados, who, full of admiration at the wretch's coolness, had already forgotten his crime. The corpse was pitched into a hole somewhere, peace was proclaimed, and the jollity went on more uproariously than ever.' After a night of such revelry, Joaquin dispatched Antonio and Guerra, 
the latter at the head of his division, into the state of Sonora with 1,500 head of cattle. He himself turned towards San Luis Obispo with Valenzuela, Felix, Cardoza, Mountain Jim, Three Fingers, and the Three Women. On the ensuing day, as they were jogging along a rough pathway in the mountains, they caught sight of a couple of French miners who had crept into one cave of the many to eat their breakfast or dinner, whichever it was, under shelter from the sun. "'I'm a-thinking,' marked Garcia, playing with his dagger. "'It would be a good notion to test their pockets.' "'Very well, go on,' answered the captain. "'But remember, no blood-spilling.' The next minute the cutthroat was confronting the two men, and in a voice of thunder ordering them to shell out or he'd make sausage-meat of them. The blazing eyes of the bandit, his business-like way in which he measured with his steel, and his ferocious mien, spoke clearly enough for the seriousness of his threat.' So the poor Gauls hurriedly unbuckled their chamois leather belts and transferred them to the robber, who emptied them hastily. Blank you for a brace of frog-eating swindlers. Money must be scarce as thunder for you pair to have only forty dollars of wire gold between you. In a moment he fell upon the unfortunate devils, cut their throats, and left them in the cave which became their grave. The outlaw commander saw them fall bathed in blood from where he and the rest had pulled up to wait, but he contented himself with grumbling and rode on. As it came on sunset, the party reached a narrow canyon, on which, stiffened in death, two Chinese and a third not far from the same condition. Some of the miners, full of the feeling, which, years after remaining the same, does not permit the poor Orientals to work near Europeans, had doubtlessly fallen in with them and been their death, for their awful wounds were made by some such blunt-pointed tools as pickaxes. The one still breathing, though his wound was not mortal in itself, would have certainly expired in a few days from the absence of proper medical assistance. On seeing the troop pass by, the suffering victim lifted his head, and in a weak but affecting accent, and with a look which should have wrung pity from the most stony of hearts, made out to gasp a few words of supplication. "'No use for us to stop,' said Joaquin. "'The poor devil's in a state past any help that we can give him.' On happening to turn a moment afterwards in his saddle, the speaker perceived Garcia, who had jumped off his horse and run back to the dying man, piercing his already bruised and bleeding breast with his dagger, and after wiping the smeared blade on the now corpse's clothes, cut off the buttons of abalone shell which glittered on the frock. Then, springing to horse, he dashed on into his place once more, pocketing the spoil. "'Jack,' said the robber king, "'that's your cruelty breaking out again. Why, the man would be dead in a couple of days.' "'Cruelty,' replied the butcher. "'I call that coming the friendly over him. I only wanted to shorten his misery. They're splendid abalones, and it's hard to strip a wounded man.' "'Shorten his pangs by churning your six inches of steel in him. Not a word more, sir. Your heart must be black as old Nick's.' On arriving at the mission of San Luis Obispo, Joaquin sent Reynardo to Los Angeles and Mountain Jim and Three-Finger Jack, who were now as thick as could be together, to San Diego, their instructions being to lay hold of all the horses they could find, and to find out what was said about the assassination of Captain Wilson and General Bean. About a week elapsed since the departure of the three, when in came Texas Jack, a member of the Association of Marauders, who brought the news that Reynardo had not a sufficiency of the Reynard in him to outwit the people of Los Angeles. While he had been slumbering after a series of fatiguing fandangos in a low dance house, he had been noticed and recognized by an Englishman whom he had robbed along with other brigands in the neighborhood of Mokalumno Hill. Arrested on the spot, he was accused of complicity in the murder of General Bean. Although there was not evidence to bring that charge fully upon him, still the attendant proof of his being capable of such an act was shown in the fact, being undisputed, of his being one of the ravagers under the command of Joaquin. During the few minutes given him to kiss the crucifix, the halter was made ready, and he took the leap from life. So passed Renardo Felix, without complaint from the honest and peaceable. His mistress, Margarita, at first refused to believe the intelligence, but Valenzuela, 
who presently returned from Los Angeles, confirmed it officially. Thereupon, drawing the silver and steel poignard that she had the habit of carrying in so rude a place as a cutthroat's camp, where a little of overplus of liquor might make the men forget discipline to gain a young and pretty woman, she plunged it into her bosom before anyone could stay her, and died pronouncing her lover's name. Taking a trip down the shaft to meet Renardo was the general opinion attributing the destination of their late partner to quite the opposition to heaven. This suicide had not been quite forgotten when, to add another testimony to the truth of misfortunes coming Indian file at one another's heels, the three-fingered brave entered the camp to report his mate's decease. Jack and the latter had stepped off the highway into a tavern a few miles from San Diego, where they were scorching their case-hardened throats with a couple of tumblers of detestable liquor, when a party of Americans, who also entered for their drinks, began to regard them with so suspicious a manner that Jack deemed it prudent to warn Jim that they too had better make themselves scarce. But the red eye had had its effect on the mountain men, and he began to laugh at his comrade, and, far from yielding to the advice, went back to the counter for another, something screaming that'd take the hair off a dead redhead mule. In a few moments more, another four or five Americans rushed hurrying into the doggery to have treats of one of their number, who had found color extremely rich. The Mexican no sooner saw this reinforcement, which destroyed the faint hope of clearing out the barroom with a fight, leaped over the doorstep, beckoning his companion to follow. The latter belched forth a string of oaths with his rummy breath and clung to the counter like a sponge to a rock. One of the Americans, all of whom had had a talk together, suddenly stepped up to the drinker, and laying a clayey hand on his shoulder, said, I arrest you for being one of Joaquin's gang. Jim tried to strike him. They grappled, and the scuffle began. Jack outside, perfectly aware how things would be going on, and knowing too well that he single-handed could no more cut his way into his friend now than bore through Tihon Peak with a willow rod, contented himself with sending a couple of bullets through the doorway into the bunch of fighters, and, clapping spurs to his horse, got away, as the PR says. Some of the men rushed out of the place, but, mounted as Jack was and well started, they had no chance at all on foot, of course. An express train locomotive could hardly have caught him on such a Bucephalus as he bestrode. As he rounded the elbow of the road, under the shoulder of the little hill, were some half-dozen riders. They would, perhaps, have offered to stop a man looking so excited as the newcomer, but he, with presence of mind, shouted, "'Gay row at McNamara's! Too bored! I'm after the doctor!' They hesitated, and he was out of pistol shot before one of them could reflect, and out of rifle range before one could speak. In the meantime, the occupants of McNamara's drinking establishment had overpowered Mountain Jim, who was instantly taken to San Diego and hanged without any other delay than the time strictly required to make the hanging's noose at the end of a rope. A month after these disasters, Joaquin, who had only five companions with him, including the two remaining mistresses of the robbers, undertook a pleasure excursion into Tulum County, his only design being to divert Clarina, who had been by the self-murder of her friend Margarita plunged into profound sadness. They journeyed slowly but pleasantly, and in a couple of weeks were treading down the tool rushes along the River Merced. There, on the very bank, in the shade of a clump of ancient trees with most luxuriant foliage still, the hanging twigs of the white oaks stretching in the wind, and the Spanish moss swinging its gray garlands under the knobbled sycamores, the rippling of the stream and the far-off grating of a squirrel's teeth against a nut, or the tapping of a woodpecker on a nut pine being the only sound, the party put up their tents, Joaquin having decided to dwell for some time in this peaceful place where nothing seemed likely to intrude to disturb repose. But if honest folk are not let travel paths of lilies for long, the way of the transgressor is still harder. This pretty determination was destined to be very speedily and abruptly destroyed. On the following morning, the Sonorian band was awakened by Jack of the Three Fingers. Four men in rough coats and high boots, miners evidently, were walking along the other bank of the stream. "'Shall we invite him over to have a drink and drown them?' asked the discoverer with kindling eyes. 
Oh, no, if they're not hunting after us, let them pass on. While speaking, he peered once more, and more attentively through the slit for loophole which commanded a view of the opposite shore. Ha! No! Yes, by the saints! cried he instantly, as a ferocious expression came upon his features. Come, Jack! Up, up! Cardoza, Valenzuela! Turn out! Follow me! Without listening to the entreaties and tears of the women, or explaining, he caught up his revolver and leaped out of the tent, the rest keeping close to his heels. The travelers were sauntering along tranquilly, without thinking of the least danger, when a fourfold detonation rang out, and three of them fell dying or dead in their steps. The last, only slightly wounded, turned round to see from whence had come the shots. "'You blank Yankee! Don't you know me? Joaquin!' Three times he fired and gave vent to a yell of delight on beholding the man measure his length beside the other fallen. He was slain outright. "'Jack,' he said, pointing across the water, "'I do more than give you permission.' I order you to let loose your devilry. Some of those dogs may live yet. They are at your mercilessness. At the first words of the chief, three fingers had jumped into the merced, and before the last ones were spoken, he was breasting the current in which he stood up to the neck. In a couple of minutes, he had touched bottom again and was soon at his hellish work. With joy, the infernal cutthroat perceived that two of the prostrate men were not only not mortally wounded, but were trying to rise, disabled as they were. One fired with a trailing broken arm, one shot at Jack but the latter, unharmed, was instantly trampling on him. Nor was the enchained demon satiated until he had literally emboweled one and torn the reeking heart out of the other. The second two he kicked into the stream. Then, on his return, he entered the canvas of the captain. He wanted to know the motive of the latter of hatred and vengeance. Jack, answered he, three of those scoundrels were in the number of the murderers of my poor wife Carmela, and who drove me away from the mines. I don't know the fourth from Adam, but he deserved what he got from being in such bad company." He's got all he wants and won't travel with that crowd again, I reckon, said the Mexican, grinning hideously. I hope, Captain, that we come across some more of the fellows who wronged you. If we do meet the villains, your steel shan't rust for want of blood. Bah, that's over. Let's quit these diggings and camp somewhere else tonight. Half an hour afterwards, the whole were galloping Mariposa words, near which place, in the rancho of a friend, they took refuge. End of chapter 7